Hello everyone and welcome to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, I am your host Ethan Bridge and I just want to start off by saying thank you all for tuning in to today's episode. Professional athletes are the best in the world at what they do. Nobody is better than them, yet they all have coaches. That doesn't always mean that the coaches are better at what they're teaching. They are there to hold the players accountable. They are there to pick up on the minute tweaks that could lead to marginal gains in performance. They are there to make sure that the athletes continue to perform at the highest level. Dana Cavalier, today's guest on the podcast, was the head strength and conditioning coach at the New York Yankees. He helped lead the team to a world championship in 2009, and that same year, he was awarded the Nolan Ryan Award, which is given to the top strength and performance coach in Major League Baseball, as voted by his peers. Since being one of the top coaches in baseball, Dana has transitioned into working as a performance coach and consultant to companies, organizations, and some of America's top CEOs, executive Wall Street fund managers, and traders, helping them to optimize performance, productivity, and sales. CEOs and top executives share many of the same qualities as these sports players. They want to be the best at what they do. Ultimately, they want to enhance their performance so that they are untouchable by competition. Dana helps them achieve just that. I can't wait for you all to hear what Dana has to say. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CEO Journals podcast. I am super excited for today's show because we have Dana Cavalier on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ethan. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, and thank you for joining me on the show. It's a pleasure to talk to you. So for the listeners who don't know who you are, do you mind just giving a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please? Sure. Uh... Listen, I start off by saying I'm just like everybody else. You know, I'm trying to work real hard to be the best at what I do. But uh, I've had some great opportunities in life. I was the director of performance with the New York Yankees for most of my career. And, you know, I worked with the finest athletes uh, in the world, really uh, helping them to perform at the highest level. And what I found in that journey was there was a lot of CEOs and executives that had the same desires. How could I play and perform at the highest level? level in the world. And that's what I do now. I help uh, CEOs and executives across multiple different uh, industries um, perform at a higher level than they're currently performing. And that that could mean helping them with their overall health, you know, getting them physically fit, mentally fit, holding them accountable, um, or at times just being a support and giving them somebody to talk to because, you know, being at the top, it could be pretty lonely at times. Amazing. And from an, from an avid sports fan myself, I cannot wait to dive into this because I imagine you've got some incredible stories to talk about. Yeah. So, but before we get into the whole nitty gritty of that, I like to start all my episodes by sort of throwing it back with my guests and asking them about their time at school, just to give a bit of context to where they came from and how mm. they were working back then to get to the point which they are today. As in, So kids realize that you don't have to be the perfect kid in school to do well in life, essentially. So. As a 16-year-old version of yourself, how were you? Were you the class clown, straight-A student, or pretty much bang average? You know what? I was kind of a combination of all three. You know, the, co- the courses that I was inter- interested in, 
I obviously gave more effort to and just my, my passion and excitement for the coursework um, allowed me to do better. The courses I wasn't interested in, I was probably a bit more average. Um, but along the way, I, I always tried to keep things pretty light. I had a, a lightness, but also an intensity. So I, I enjoyed the fun component, but I also was very um, goal-oriented and focused on what it is that I wanted to do. I had a um, tremendous fear of um, living an average life, hmm. and I still do. And, and, and that doesn't mean you know average is not good. It just wasn't good for me. So did you know what you wanted to do then exactly as in you knew you wanted to become a coach for the Yankees? Like that was um, on your dream board. I actually wanted to be a player for the Yankees right. first. And I realized that, you know, my talent set was not as good as it needed to be to play at that, that high level. And, um, you know, in my journey as a player myself, I tried to get as much talent or as much ability out of myself as possible. So it's like taking a sponge and wringing out the talent. And I had some coaches that really helped me along the way to do that. And I also had some coaches along the way that, that I felt um, I allowed to set me back. So I realized that, wow, great coaching could help take somebody's career um, and take them to another level. And bad coaching could actually pull you back. And no coaching, what's dangerous about that, I found, is that you're left too oftentimes your own devices and then who do you, you know, you're, you're talking to people that are usually very close to you that sometimes either tell you what you want to hear, which isn't good, mm. or they, or they kill your dreams, which isn't good either. So I felt sort of fell in love with this coaching thing because I realized the benefit that it would have to people um, that were looking to achieve a higher level, but also what I saw with the athletes and how every athlete has a coach. And there's a reason for that. It's not that they're not talented. And it's not that they don't have tremendous ability. It's just at times, we all need somebody to kick us in the butt. We need someone to talk to. We need someone to hold us accountable. And at times, we need people to pull us back and say, hey, wake up. You're not taking care of yourself. Or you're taking on too much. Or you're trying to do too much or be too much. And... That's what I, what I enjoy most about, about coaching. So that's, I got into it because I was an underperforming player that needed coaching in order to maximize the bit of talent that I had. What age were you then when you first sort of like realized that you weren't going to make it as a player? Because I think coming to that realization of the fact that, especially as a kid, it's quite heartbreaking realizing that you thought you were going to fulfill this dream of being a player and then suddenly you realize that you're just not going to make it because you're not good enough. Like you have to be quite self-aware to tell yourself that you're not going to do it and then force yourself down a different route. I think I'd say that's probably one of my, one of my bigger gifts is to, is the awareness mm. sometimes to a fault, you know, but, but um, you know, I realized when I was 19 years old that I wasn't going to make it as a player. I didn't have the talent to do it. And that same year I pivoted into coaching and that's, that's when I went to a, a, a different university. I was playing at the first university I was at. I was playing baseball. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to go to another university where there's greater opportunity. And that's really how I started my coaching journey, um, working with the Yankees. For an, that's quite amazing, though, for, an, for a 19-year-old to sort of realize that and then sort of make that executive decision to change paths themselves, like completely drop out of that university, go to a different university. Because like, that's a quite a big change for 
someone of that age. Yeah, I, I have this saying, and I say that pain will lead you to change. So yeah. for me, I hated the university that I was at. I, I was in New York, and, and I, I love New York because it's where I'm from, but I hate it because it doesn't uh, always align with what I, I love to be outside. I love the great weather. Um, so I, I have a love-hate relationship. And, and at the end of the day, I grew up there, and I was looking for something different. I knew that there was more. Um, more out there for me and I wanted to make sure that I took advantage of that as opposed to just staying in, in, in an area that I was comfortable with because I knew it. Yeah. I enjoyed pushing sort of these new frontiers. For sure. I like the quote sort of get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. That's something I've sort of listened to a lot recently and sort of get m- myself out of that comfort zone because as soon as you do get comfortable, that's where you sort of, you just stagnate. It's no progression when you're comfortable, is there? So sort of yeah. out of your comfort zone What's is the only thing to push you forward. And I think it depends really too on, on, on who you are and what your personality is because, you know, there's people that you'll talk to and you as a go-getter may say, hey, you know what, this person really doesn't have any goals. You know, they're not working towards anything. But when you ask them the question, hey, are you happy? And they say, yeah. They found it, right? They found what they were looking for. Maybe a simple, easy life is what they want. And that's okay too. But as a, a type A, you know, high performer, you know, we're always seeking more. Like what's next? We're seeking that new challenge because without challenge, we have no growth. And without growth, oftentimes we don't have fulfillment. So that's how it works. You know, so there's always there's these different types of people that we roam the earth with whether it's in London, whether it's in Florida, whether it's in New York, it doesn't matter. Um, but that's what we have to be aware of and conscious of. Yeah, man. I can't, I can't, can't agree more. So yeah. how did you get your foot in the door then with the New York Yankees? How, at, at such a young age, how did you get that opportunity? Well, I, I worked for free for a lot of years. Um, when I first started at 19, I started as an intern just looking for experience, you know, and, and what happened was I, I was a fan that went up to the stadium one day <coughs> in Florida. They have their, that's where they have their spring training or their practice. So I went up to the stadium and I, I was taking pictures through the chain link fence like this, taking pictures of all the players. I was just a happy fan, happy to be there. And the next day, I mean, excuse me, that day I was actually interning with my university and the gentleman that I was working under, had said to me, listen, I got a call from the Yankees and they're looking for somebody to help out, you know, in the training facility. Would you have any interest in that? And I said, you know what? I just got back from there. I'd have tremendous interest. So literally he said, well, you start tomorrow. The next day I drove up, parked nice and close, walked in the office. They gave me a credential with my name on it. It said C for clubhouse, F for field access. They threw me in Yankee gear. And next thing you know, that same field I was taking pictures of, a day earlier, I was now in the middle of, and I realized at that moment that there was uh, a radical shift that had taken place in my life, whether I wanted to acknowledge it or not, um, but I had to take advantage of it. And that's, that's how I got started. And for the next three years, I, I worked for free um, until I was hired as an assistant. And then a month into the season, um, the gentleman that was in front of me, they actually let go so I had to step up, and at 23, I was the director of performance and head strength coach for the Yankees. 23. Yeah, so, That's 23. so it was crazy because, you know, I, I was broke. 
And I'm telling these, you know, guys that are worth 20, 30, 50, a hundred million dollars what to do. And, um, it was surreal, but, but I always believed in the power of relationships. And because of that, you know, they accepted me and, and really, uh, I feel watched over me quite a bit, the players to make sure that I had, um, success. Sure. But I suppose working for three for free for those that for that, that amount of time as well, you sort of like built that rapport and respect with the yeah. players before you went into the job as well. Did that make the transition much easier in the fact that you knew who you were working with before you had to work with them officially as such? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was, you know, that's why when I say for free, I, I hate to say that because I gained tremendously from giving of myself um, during that time period. So yeah, I mean, I built great relationships with the players um, and with the organization in general. So when that time came, there wasn't much doubt as to like, well, who is this kid? You know, should we give him a chance? They they knew who I was, they knew what I stood for. They knew that I was, um, you know, probably a good fit. For sure. So you are literally working with these people who are at the pinnacle of peak performance they are the best at what they do they are playing for one of the most prestigious baseball organizations there is and they're they're getting paid a fortune for what they are doing yeah how how do they do it how do they get there what is like the mindset of one of these individuals because Mm -hmm. like a minute amount of people actually make it to that point like every kid dreams of it yeah very make it you know what you have to realize is what's interesting about the 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 dynamics and the psychological state of these players is the day they stop performing is the day they could be done so Mm. you could have have great performance great performance great performance and then if you have bad 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 it erases the great so it's a really interesting mindset because you're always chasing your next best day so how do you do that without putting pressure on yourself? And that's, mm-hmm. the, that's a really interesting um, space to be in, right? How do you continue to push your own limits while still staying within yourself? And that, that's a lot of, of what we did. So we, we focused heavily on day-to-day preparation, day-to-day focus on the fundamentals, day-to-day fitness, making sure that the body was not going to become a source of weakness or a source of doubt for a player's psychology because when your body's not performing or you fall into ill health, you can't perform. It sort of overrides your own abilities. So we focused heavily on preparation physically and mentally. And at the same time, we were always focused on um, communicating with that player to know where the player was at all times in terms of their overall state for sure and i suppose that's sort of the thing you're going to have to do with your ceos as well as well now then because i suppose you don't as much as they don't have the support as much as a sports player does in some aspects of someone that would just go for it by themselves but no one really asks these individuals how are you doing like what do you need like how can i help whereas sports players look for it in a way yeah. I don't know if I'm just completely. No, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I find that most, you know, CEOs and executives, um, they're not prepared to play the sport of business. Mm. They're, you know, think about a typical CEO. Everybody's sort of taking from them or asking them for something. 
Now, who do they go and ask for something, right? That, and that's why, again, it becomes a little bit lonely at the top. Um, but ultimately, what I found is the work ethic and the intensity in which a, uh, that, that a CEO or an executive shows is very similar to that of sport. They just don't have the tools. They don't have enough of the tools that they need in order to uh, maximize their performance. Again, ask a CEO, you know, how much sleep have you gotten? Well, it's all over the place usually. Or, you know, how about your, your training? How about your diet? You know, those are things that they're thinking of as secondary to being a great CEO where it's about really getting to switch that mindset and say, hey, do you show up with the greatest amount of energy every day? And most of them will say no. Um, you know, some people deal with high levels of stress and anxiety. Some people are on the cusp of burnout. CEOs, executives. Um, others have lost their passion, but they keep doing their job because they have to. So these are all the different states that most executives and CEOs live in. And I mean, some are absolutely loving it and doing great, but it's really about bringing them into a point of focus where it's how can we create a routine for you and, and build habits that can lead you to greater levels of success in a way that you haven't experienced thus far. For sure. Something that's always made me quite curious then is this is so, relates to it somewhat is the fact that you've got all of you sometimes find like these teenage prodigies that a scout would look at and go, right, they are going to be amazing. Like everything about what they do is perfect. And then two years down the line, they've fallen off. And this yeah. kid that was nowhere near as good as them when they were both scouted has taken off and just become incredibly good. What makes this happen why do these incredibly good individuals that come in as teenagers then just suddenly just drop off because yeah. everyone Everybody. else them and goes they're going to be amazing and then you probably see it firsthand they just plummet yeah it's an interesting situation but um there's a ceiling i call it a talent ceiling and everybody has a different ceiling so that player that was a stud may have been right here and they hit it at 16 years old this guy may be down his talent ceiling may be here but he's here at the point when this when the other guy's at his at his peak so this guy continues to rise and this one just stays the same it's not that he's actually lost talent it's just that the other person's ceiling is higher so they're rising while this person is sort of staying still so that's there, really what it does is. there tend to be different work ethics between these people as well as in the people that don't tend to be as good work harder and the ones that sort of are gifted with this natural talent well, obviously there's, there's select few that do just work and work like kevin durant in, in basketball he just puts in an incredible amount of work and always has and mm. but i do do some teenagers get complacent with their talent i mean I believe, I mean, it could happen to anybody, right? Complacency happens to people. And sometimes when you think you're great and you actually believe your own headline, it's even more apparent, you know what I mean? So, so you think you could take off or you can sort of miss sessions of training where the, un that's why I, I always bet on the underdog. Mm. I bet on that player that's not as good, but you can see something in them. And you know that they have the potential to be good. 
that's that's who I would invest in. And the same is true even in business. You know, there's, you know, you have some that come from this perfect pedigree. And with that perfect pedigree comes other problems where if you have a guy that's sort of from the street and he's had a fight for survival and he brings that same ethic yeah. of work, you know, to, to your business or your environment, he could do or she could do really well. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And I think you can see that from all aspects. Um, something that is of you obviously asked about a lot. One of your greatest achievements must be winning the World Series with the Yankees in 2009. Like That is an unbelievable achievement. As your job role, that must be the number one thing you want to achieve. And you did it. Yeah, but what, I mean, what did it take? How did it feel? How did it take as a team rather than just like, because you can see, you see all the individual players, you can have, you can have a star player, but they're not going to win by themselves. Teamwork. How on earth do you be the best team in the world at what you do? This can apply for both sport and business. Yeah. Well, it's the old saying, right? Teamwork makes the dream work. It's, it's very true. Um, and you know, when we won in 2009, it was really the coming together of 25 individuals that were able to put their own crap aside for the betterment of each other and for the betterment of a, of a mission, a vision, and a goal that was bigger than their own. So that year, everybody on our team was very clear on what we wanted to do, and that was win the championship. And that's true for any team going into the season, typically. But what our guys um, did differently than the other teams is, is they, they actually wanted it. It wasn't just good, you know, lip service where it's like, yeah, we want to win the championship. Like our guys wanted to win it badly because some of them were getting to a point in their career where this was their only chance. And you had people playing for something, again, far bigger than themselves. And this was sort of the career achievement that many of them didn't have yet. So when they got that, it was sort of like the cherry on top. So we played together, you know, guys picked each other up. Um, when one guy was down, another guy would pick him up. When one guy didn't get it done, the next guy would step up and get it done. So it was sort of um, everybody had each other's back and nobody was walking around with a knife to put in somebody's back. For sure. And I Googled this as well because I had no idea. There's 162 games in a season. That's an incredible amount of games. So like for the English listeners, to put that into context, there are 38 games per season in the Premier League. Like each team will play 38 games. 162 games a season. How do you manage to keep the players, the staff, the back office? How, do you, how does everyone stay motivated throughout the wins, the losses? Because that's a hell of a long season. Yeah. Well, you get really selfish, actually, as a team. And you sort of focus on one game at a time. And you try to eliminate any external um, distractions and variables that may exist. And ultimately, listen, we play 162 games, but there's 30 games that you play in spring training. So that takes you to 192. And if you go all the way through the playoffs, that's another 19 games. So do the math. You're over 200 games. Now, that's 200 days of competition at the highest possible level. Most people, they don't compete you know, anywhere near that. They don't compete at 10% of that. 
Um, so for us, it's always about what's in front of you right now. And it's about saying, hey, I got to do my best today. I can't worry about tomorrow. You know, if we're at game 100, we know we have 62 more games. That's 62 more days of competition. That's exhausting. So if you think about it, it's very hard to get through it. But so you have to be very present and you have to focus on what's right in front of you. It would be like us worrying about what's going to happen in July right now. We don't know what's going to happen in July. We know or we'd like to think that we're going to be here and, and we're going to be healthy and we're going to be alive in July. We know that. But the question is, what are we going to do today? And that's the most important question that we have to ask ourselves. What are we going to do today? Or else 162 games is very intimidating. Yeah. And I suppose, and I know we're talking about sport here, but that can literally be translated into anything. That can be life, business, whatever, is into just focus on today. So yeah. What Go on, carry on. I, I was just going to say, and you know, what people don't realize is, yeah, it's 162 games, but sometimes we only get one day off during a month. Blimey. So you have to show up. There's no off days. It's not like, oh, thank God, Saturday's here or or. Sunday, whew, we still play. You're traveling as well. It's, you're not in the same location either. Right. You're traveling every other week. You're on the road. So something to think about. Yeah. What about the pressure then? How does that mount up in the players? How did they and you deal with, how did you deal with the pressure? Like that final game where you, you had the chance to win the championship, which you did. How was the pressure on that day? Like, How did everyone feel? How did they deal with it? Well, when you turn pressure into excitement, it's no longer pressure, right? So we always have a choice, right? When we're looking at a moment in front of us, how do we view that moment? Do we look at it as like, oh my gosh, the game's on the line. How am I going to do this? I mean, or we're like, you know what? The game's on the line and I'm going to win this game for us. That's, they're, they're, they're two different mentalities, right? So we always have a choice as to what, which champion we want to bring, you know, to that, to that moment and to that game. So we got to always make the decision of saying, hey, I want the ball. I want, to, I want the chance today to be great. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people don't want the ball. No, which I find crazy. Why wouldn't you want to be the player that won it? Well, you want to know why? Tell me. What if, what if you fail? <sighs> but, and, that's, and that's the thing. Most, not most, but a lot of people focus on the, the, fail, the failure of the moment, the potential of failing. This is why people don't, do, don't sort of go after their dreams, right? Because they're like, it's easier to talk about it. But if mm. I actually do it and it doesn't work out, that's devastating. Yeah. This is why I do this podcast as well, though, because no one talks about failures and that is one of the things i ask i ask the same question every episode we'll get onto it a bit later on where i ask you your two biggest failures because no one talks about the failures we don't hear about the failures because people hate failures but they happen and they're yeah. always good. my belief is this if you're going to not talk about failure you have no right to talk about success i'm going to use that one more often might have yeah. to steal that from you <laughs> yeah I mean, you, you, you forego the right 
to talk about success if you don't talk about failure because if you've spoken to anybody that's achieved anything, let me take it back. If you've spoken to anybody that can talk and breathe, <laughs> meaning yeah. they're alive, they've dealt with failure. Now, again, how, does, how do you deal with it? That's the real question. Does it cripple you, disable you, and shut you down, and you fall into a, a depression? Or mm. does it motivate you? And that's, that's the real question. So I'll ask you the question now then. What do you think your biggest, we'll start with number one then. What do you think one of your biggest failures has been in your journey so far? Well, you know, for me, I, I believe that I fail every day in different, in different ways. But, you know, in terms of failures, if you want to call it that, I opened up a series of, like, um, I was building a franchise of training centers where we were going to train at the general public much like we were training our athletes. So I built one and it did really well. I built two and it did really well. I did three and it did really well. And the further I actually got away from one, um, the less successful we, we, we became because we had to focus on, or I had to focus on managing people and managing staff and hiring. And it just, I didn't have the team to mm. support what we were building. I didn't have the infrastructure. And I believed that I, I can do it without them or I could find another way um, so I could use our cash flow for growth as opposed to, you know, overstaffing, you know, for a rainy day. Um, so, you know, when you're growing, you're blowing through a lot of cash. So that, that what would be perceived as a failure is that I had these five facilities that I wanted to build into a franchise and it was going to be great. I realized later I only had to have one successful place and I could have franchised off of that. But um, I was in this mode of proving something to myself that I could run a multi-unit operation. But what ultimately ended up happening was I lost the interest. It wasn't that I just was losing some money. I didn't have the desire to do what I was doing anymore. So the fail wasn't that it didn't work out. The fail was that I didn't get out sooner. So yeah. that, was, that, that was one. And then the other fail for me was, again, it, it's a fail because I think people could relate to it, but I still don't even see it as such as that um, – you know, at the end of my last season with the Yankees, my contract was up and it didn't get renewed because, you know, the organization in pro sports, they're always shifting coaching staffs. They're always shifting players. So my number got pulled. It wasn't that we had more injuries or anything. It was just our GM said, listen, I got to make a change. And <laughs> we're changing your position and we're going to change this guy's position and we're changing this guy's position. So that was another one of those moments of fail because we always want things on our terms. Like I'll leave when I'm ready to leave or I'll get out of this business when I'm ready, not when we run out of cash or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, completely. So, so those, you know, those are two like external failures. Um, but I'd say one other failure that I, that I have on top of that is just the failure to uh, sometimes believe my own bullshit. And I think all of us could relate to that is that 
we sit there and we say, man, and then we stay in it for more than probably the 30 seconds it deserves. And we can stay in it for a week and say, man, how come this isn't happening? Or why isn't this happening fast enough? Or how come I'm not bigger than I am in terms of growing this thing? And the failure is if you continue to listen to that. Yeah. So that's a good addition. I like that though. So how was, how was the transition out of the, out of baseball and into coaching CEOs then? Like, was it instant or did it sort of like take time for you to realize that that was an opportunity? How did you transition into it? Oh, it's interesting. I I actually started while I was still with the team and, um, you know, I remember being on the field and I had a, uh, a gentleman called me over. He was on the field too, just watching. And he called me over and he said, Hey coach, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah. And he said, um, listen, you know, I'm looking to improve my health. I'm looking to, you know, improve myself. Do you work with guys like me, business guys? And I very jokingly said, well, it depends how much you, how much you're going to pay. And I was, I was joking with him, but he's like, no, I'm, I'll pay you. Don't worry. And I, I ended up giving him my number and we stayed in touch and he called me probably what was a month later. And um, he ended up being an owner of a professional sports team and a very, very successful guy um, in, in the healthcare space. So that's really how I started. Um, and then from there, you know, it's um, you start to put the word out that, that you're coaching CEOs and executives and they say, wow, if this guy was coaching the highest performing athletes on the planet, I'd like to learn how I can even pick up a little bit of an edge. And that's, and that's sort of how it evolves. So I'm not a big like marketing guy, you know, but, but I tend to find the right people more. So the right people tend to find me. And, and we, I always tell them on day one, when we start working together, um, it's a partnership and we're going on a journey together. There's going to be weeks where you don't need me. There's going to be months where you probably feel like you got this. But I'm here for you for that moment where you may feel weak. Just a little bit of weakness and we can't have that. And then we're going to work on it. So that's how I I work with people. So so I work as a personal coach, you know, to CEOs, executives, and leaders, um, helping them move along their high-performance journey. For sure. And it's cool. It's, it's a lot of fun. Do you see what sort of like similarities have you seen then between sort of the CEOs and the, and the lead executives and the sports players? Is there any like key things that you just instantly correlate? Well, there's an obsessiveness. Um, that's there. There's this obsession for being better. Um, there's a, a competitor's mentality. There's a, a desire to not accept just being what you are because you know you have more inside of you. So that's a very common thread that I see amongst uh, the CEOs and executives and the athletes. For sure. What is your typical clientele then with, when it comes to CEO? What, is, what do they normally want out of your service? Obviously, you say you coach them to be like, constantly at the peak of performance but what do they say when they initially join when so they say do i want to better my health or is there anything that normally stands out there's usually yeah there's usually a couple categories you know one is hey can you help me get you know i, I need a, to be put on a program that i could do to get myself in shape 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too fat and I got to clean it up. That's mm-hmm. one. The other is, hey, I'm, I've been putting the business ahead of me personally for so long that I'm starting to feel it in terms of my health. I'm starting to feel it in terms of like my confidence being down a little bit. I'm starting to feel it in that I'm getting burnt out and I'm feeling stressed. That's another one. Um, then there's this, this other one that's, that's very acute. Like I had a, a gentleman call me. Um, he had board meetings that he was preparing for and he wanted to have a sounding board, somebody he could talk to about it, somebody he could work through his thoughts with. Um, so that, that's another situation that's very acute. And then I, the last one is people that are at the top that are tired of going through it on their own. Mm. Some of them just want someone to talk to that's not a therapist, that's more of an action-oriented coach um, to keep them moving along their journey. So those are the different scenarios typically. Amazing. I find what you do incredibly interesting, the fact that of your journey and how you, what you've done in the past and what you've achieved. I could speak to you for hours and ask, a ton, <laughs> but I, I, am, I am wary of the time because I know we have got a hard stop. So I want to move on. Like, that's the bulk of the episode. I'll round that off there. But I want to ask you a final five questions. It's something I do at the end of every single episode. It's just five quick questions that I hope you have five quick answers to. So question number one, is who is the first person that comes to mind when I say the word successful? Successful. Well, um, that gentleman that I was speaking about earlier from the professional sports team, um, I just find him to be very successful. He's a you know, multi-billionaire, but he also is very family-oriented, and he's built a business um, in a way that celebrates that as opposed to competes with his family, which I, I admire. I love that as well, because you sort of gone down a different route of successful, like with successful, you could instantly go to money, but people's definitions of success are different as in some people were incredibly successful in the fact that they do spend loads of time with their family or the yeah. fact that they are just always they are just a happy person. They are just happy and content with life. Like success doesn't always have to be strictly related to the amount of money we make. Right. So I like that. Thank you for going down that route. Question number yeah. two, what is the best investment you've ever made? So this can be money, time, energy, or just simply an Amazon purchase. <laughs> the best investment. Um, you know, if my wife is listening to this. I have to say my, my wedding ring <laughs> for her. <laughs> no, you know, it's, um, I, I'm really big on, on the people that you invest in, that you put around you. Um, and, and luckily, the best investments that I've made are the relationships um, that, I've, that I've invested in, um, both, you know, family, um, my wife, um, and even the people, really, I, even the people that I coach, you know, I invest in them very much. So it's sort of an emotional investment um, that, I, that I put towards them. I mean, there's a financial exchange, but I, I exchange for those finances emotion to help them be their best. And, I, and um, so the relationships that I invest in, I'd say, are up there pretty good. Sure. And I suppose with these CEOs that you're coaching as well now, although they're paying you, you're probably learning a hell of a lot from them as well. I am. And, and some of that is what to do. And some of that is what not to do. So it goes, yeah. it goes both ways, you know? 
Win-win, win-win. Yeah. Question number three then. Do you have a quote that you live by or think of often? Do I have a quote? You know, um, there's a quote by a baseball player that I used to have in my bedroom as a kid, and I never forgot it. And it's uh, the baseball player's name is Cal Ripken Jr. Um, he was one of the best, and I got to speak with him actually uh, on a stage two years ago. And the quote is, um, it starts with a dream, hard work, and the desire to play forever. So, I can imagine on a kid's bedroom wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it had to do with the game, but I said, you know, it's kind of cool. Like, it really does. Whatever you do, yeah. starts with a dream, hard work, and the desire to play forever. And whether it's a podcast, whether you're a CEO, you should look at it as play. Yeah, for sure. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? My 20-year-old self, my, the advice I'd say is, hey, man, it doesn't get easier. So you better keep on going, keep on working. You know, so many of us, we, we think we're going to get to this place where it just straightens out and we just go like this. But if you have that certain personality type, I mean, I have it where you're always challenging your own limits that doesn't allow you to really hit the straightaway and that straight road too often because you're always looking for the next hill. Yeah. Never get comfortable. Like we said at the beginning. Yeah. Amazing. Final question of the episode. And the, I end this, I end the episode on this question every time. And it's a bit of a morbid way to end the episode. So I do apologize, but I do get interesting answers to this question. So that's why I ask it. The question is, are you afraid of dying? Well, um, the short answer is no, because I know everybody else is going to do that too. So that's yeah. sort of the thing we all have in common, right? It's just the only fear I have is between now and that point, did I do everything that I was supposed to do? And did I do everything that I wanted to do? Or yeah. did I spend too much time focusing on things and pe things that don't matter and relationships that were negative as opposed to you know thriving and positive so i'm not afraid but i don't want to waste my time that i have amazing what a way yeah. to win the episode yeah Obviously, thank you for your time as well that's incredible you are as i said an incredibly interesting person i could sit here and speak Absolutely. to you for hours i'm sure you've got an incredible amount of stories that you could just go on and on about but I'd love to give you the chance to shout out what you're doing, where people can find you, where they can reach out to you. What's going on in your life? Yeah, so I, this year, I mean, I just uh, wrote this book here, Habits of a Champion. Um, so that's available on Amazon or uh, danacavalia.com. I do a daily blog, and I try to populate my social channels from YouTube to Instagram to Twitter to Facebook. But danacavalia.com is where I do most of my uh, – that's my home base. So. Amazing. Yeah, I, I will leave that in the show notes below as well. So listeners, simply just scroll down and you'll find the link there. Don't worry about remembering it. But Dana, thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. It's been an absolute blast. Thanks, Ethan. Thank you. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast. And I can't thank you all enough for listening. 
I aim to interview some of the most incredible entrepreneurs every single week. So if you found any value in listening to today's episode, I'd seriously appreciate if you could smash that subscribe button and leave a five star rating and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. If you want to reach out to me, head over to my Instagram at CEO Journals or send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I'd love to speak to as many of you as possible. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to another incredible guest where we will be discussing their journey and providing some great tips for all you listeners. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day and once again, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of CEO Journals.